Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, owner of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment. Today, we're speaking with Jordan Young. Jordan Young is the owner of Jordan and Associates, LLC. They are a firm that specializes in recruitment with a heavy emphasis on recruiting business development and community outreach representatives for behavioral health facilities. Before we speak with him, let's hear from our wonderful sponsors, Track9. Track9 Informatics is a data-driven approach to substance use disorder and mental health treatment. By assessing nine pathology and resilience factors that have been scientifically shown to be most critical to client success each week, Track9 identifies which clinicians excel at treating which client symptoms, provides facility-specific clinical outcome analytics compared to national averages, and learns your facility-specific predictors of treatment success or failure all of which help your program improve client outcomes, support payer negotiations, and reduce AMAs. To get a free consultation on how this data-driven approach can improve your program, call 833-998-7229 or email contact at track9.com. I wanted to speak with Jordan today because I feel that business development is still really one of the largest gaps that we see in providers, both big and small across the country. And this is the same for addiction treatment facilities, psych behavioral facilities, MAT clinics. Uh, there's still a very large gap in terms of both knowledge and skill set. How do you hire? How do you retain? Also, how do you onboard? How do you train? A lot of business development these days is driven either by often the horse trading um, that we'll talk a little bit more about the podcast, and that's been dying for a long time, as we've talked about several times on this um, this podcast. We also see a lack of experience or expertise related to how to do effective community outreach. Either numbers aren't tracked and people can't identify results. It's very amorphous and ambiguous. You know, I think we're doing good, but I can't really tell you why. Or there's just simply an inability to connect with professional healthcare referral sources and community referral sources outside of just looking at, you know, potential other treatment partners. And we see this again across psych behavioral addiction treatment, MAT doesn't really seem to matter. The business development field needs a lot of support. And I think it needs a lot of emphasis and focus from leadership teams to really become more effective and get away from this cycle of hiring and firing um, that is so common. And it's not just related to who's hired and fired, but how the team is set up, how the team is managed. So. And we'll talk a lot with Jordan about that, especially around very specific ideas to be looking at that are going to drive efficacy, that are going to drive recruitment, retention, um, and ensure that the business development community outreach team is getting better outcomes than most providers these days are at this point. So with that, let's jump in. Hey, Jordan, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your recruitment company? Yeah. Hey, Nick. So thank you for having me on. So my company is Jordan and Associates Consulting. So I started this company three and a half years ago, 
And the focus was broadly on consulting and behavioral health care. But about a year into the business, I pivoted. What the market was dictating I needed to spend my time focusing on, rather than true consulting, was helping treatment centers hire key staff. So for the past two years, that's been about 90 to 95% of the work that we've done. We work with behavioral health care organizations, so treatment centers and companies that service treatment centers on hiring key staff. We will only work in this industry and we only work on certain types of positions at, at this moment. So we'll work on leadership and business development positions. We'll occasionally sprinkle in another type of position for companies that we work with or companies that we want to establish in a a relationship with. But our primary focus is leadership and business development positions. All right. And that's really one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is I know you guys do a lot of recruitment around business development. Uh, Even at Circle Social, you know, we've referred clients to you and referred potential candidates to you. And you've just done a fabulous job of helping out both sides. And so I think it's something that a lot of providers struggle with is their business development, their community outreach team, what that looks like, what good reps are, and then what training processes are, are all, all these kind of things. Just kind of digging into that a little bit more specifically, you know, especially nowadays, what does a good business development or community outreach rep look like? So from my experience, what I have seen with successful business development representatives are people that, you know, one, are hungry. They are hungry to establish relationships. They are hungry to meet new potential partners, and they are passionate. They are passionate about the work that they do. They are passionate about helping other people. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to get a social worker or necessarily someone who is in recovery, but someone who's inspired by the work they're doing. I've I've recently had a couple of hires that I've placed with one of our clients, and these are guys that have not had business development experience before, or at least not in behavioral health care. They're passionate about behavioral health care. They've had either personal, well, they both have personal experience in recovery. And these guys in their first couple of months have been just breaking activity records within the organization. They're ready to run through a wall because they have been, they feel gifted with this opportunity to essentially to help others, to help other people change their lives and save their lives. So I've, I've seen people that, that most organizations I work with would not consider hiring because they don't have, and I'm doing air quotes here, a book of business. But these are people that if you give them a little time to ramp up, have shown to have great results with their production. So there's a couple of things I want to explore there. When you're talking about, as you mentioned, being in recovery, a lot of providers you know, tend to hire community outreach reps that are in recovery. Um, you mentioned people that are potentially coming from outside the space and doing well. And then you mentioned you know, this idea that maybe uh, a non-traditional background could be helpful 
So out of all those things, I mean, what criteria are you identifying, you know, when you find someone that you think is a high potential for success in, in one of these roles? Honestly, I like to, I like to cast a wide net. So I feel, I don't feel like that there's specifically one formula that's going to lead to success. Yeah, I, I feel like you can find someone who has a sales background, who has experience in outside sales from maybe another in- industry where they are trained well and they do require high activity and a professional sales approach. There's a professional sales presentation when dealing with potential referral sources. I think that someone like that who is passionate about this industry, you know, probably someone who's been impacted either personally with themselves or their family or just is passionate about it because of the way it's impacting our society in general. I feel like I feel like those people can do well, but also the people that you know are just itching for their opportunity to get their foot in the door. But, but with those types of candidates, you have to look at the organization that they're going with as well, because there are some really just former clients of mine, but there are a lot of treatment centers and behavioral healthcare organizations that will take someone in and essentially just drop them in a territory and say, okay, good luck. They don't provide the structure or really the coaching and the training to help to enable those business development professionals to be successful. And that's for me personally, when I'm looking at potential clients, that's something that I look for is what support are you providing to the team that you're bringing on? I've, I've had clients that I had to fire because you know, one, they were, they were setting unrealistic expectations for production and no matter if you come in with the book of business that everyone is after, it's still going to take some time to transition that book of business from one treatment center or one organization to another. So companies that expect candidates to come in and produce 10 admissions a month, I, I don't even I don't even bother to have conversations with them. Once, once, I, once I hear that now, then it's, just, it's done. It's off the table. We're not working together. If you're expecting someone to come in in month one or month two, start putting up all-star numbers. Organizations that will give people time to learn the culture, learn about the treatment centers and the leaders within the organization, really how to give them time to transition their current referral sources to their new organization. Those are, those are the people that I look for, you know? And so I feel like that sort of culture is going to lead to more success than someone who just says, okay, go get them. You know, I need my 10 to 15 admissions this month, or you're not going to have a month two or month three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things to unpack there. So, I mean, we do a lot of consulting in the business development and we actually just finished up three different large providers that we were working with and all of them, you know, had struggles around that issue in terms of effectively deploying their business development team or scaling it up or you know, making sure that they had the the focus, the territories assigned appropriately, you know, the account management strategies and, and just the training involved to make sure that they were successful. So I, I think that's a big deal. But this book of business idea comes up all the time. 
And, you know, I've heard a lot of, a lot of smaller providers, but I was actually just talking with the CEO of another facility. It's like, well, you know, what we did is we just went out and we, we paid more for the business development reps to get these books of business, but it's generally a losing strategy because then you're tending to hire people that are just looking for, you know, the highest bidder in the salary game, frankly. So there's no loyalty to the facility and there's a high probability that they'll jump ship, you know, if they find something else that's pays more it's also pretty unsustainable i mean at the end of the day there there's a cap right i mean if you're bringing in so many admissions that can only cover such a salary range and if you pay above that every business development rep ends up losing you money which we've seen fairly consistently where people pay these ridiculous salaries to their bd teams and then suddenly they can't understand why they're not profitable even though their you know census is okay um, so, you know, thoughts around that whole book of business process. One, I guess, have you seen it work? You mentioned that there's some problems. And, and then two, you know, what is realistic around salary and compensation structures based on someone's previous existing relationships? Yeah, and those, those are all good points that you made there. I think that what I think people need to be aware of when they're looking for someone with a book of book of business yeah and that's that's their number one criteria right i don't want to call it a get rich quick scheme but you know it's, it's kind of in the same vein what what they're looking for is someone who can immediately come in and produce for them right so with that book of business well you know what you're what you're paying for is you're paying for all the time that it took for them to build that book of business but what I feel people need to keep in mind when that's their thought is, okay, this person did develop this book of business over years. They established these relationships, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those referral sources that have referred to them in the past and the organizations that they represent in the past, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to refer to this new company. So I think that when if if I were a treatment center owner or a behavioral healthcare company owner and I were looking at a specific candidate, okay, someone who comes in who's established, who has relationships, who's going to come with that high salary cost too, I would think about, okay, look at this person's background. You know, for one, you know, what types of organizations have they represented and how similar are those organizations to my own? Because what they have been doing is they've been establishing relationships. Take, for example, that this candidate that we're, that we're talking about here represented a high-end dual diagnosis program that does really well with, tra with trauma. So, you know, and they have a pattern of representing those types of organizations, but now they're going to an organization that is just substance abuse focused. They're focused, you know, they're a strictly 12-step immersion program. They don't necessarily treat the trauma. Those referral sources, those therapists that they had developed those referral relationships with, yes, they were referring to the individual, right? But also a big chunk of it was they were referring to them because of the quality programming that they felt that those programs you know, that treated the trauma, that were the good co-occurring programs, the treatment they felt they provided. So then going over to this 
other employer, you know, my, my company in this example, that's the 12 step program. We don't necessarily, you know, we may not necessarily provide the same high quality clinical treatment. So those people may not refer to me. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I think that's, I think that's one thing to take into consideration. I loved, I love the point that you made about jumping ship because, you know, that's one thing to look for. If someone has a, a history of every 18 months or two years or even three years of jumping from one organization to the other, what makes you feel that, you know, they, they did this to all these other people. This was their pattern, but they're not going to do it with me. Right. I'm better than that. Right. You know, so you have to, th- you know, have to think about that and think about, okay, how will I keep them happy? How will I break this pattern? There's also credibility issues there, right? You know, if I have a particular referral source and then every year, you know, this person's changing and then going in and telling me that, hey, okay, well, this program's the best thing ever. You know, this program's <laughs> the best thing since sliced bread. I stop believing them at some point, And so I just stop referring to them. And so the fact that they're moving from facility to facility is also a red flag to me as a, a referral provider. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, you know, some turnover can be explained that absolutely some turnover can be explained, especially within our organization that is changing so drastically with with so many new companies popping up and so many existing providers either going out of business or being swallowed up by a bigger organization. So whenever I'm speaking with candidates one of the things that I like to dig into is, okay, why did you leave here? What happened here? And if there's reasonable explanations, then there's reasonable explanations. You know, just me as the person that's presenting the candidate, I explain that to the to the hiring organization on the front end that they left because of this reason or this reason or this reason. But if there's if there aren't reasons that that I buy into, then I don't even bother passing those people along. But as as a candidate, you know, that's one of the things that I think that people need to be aware of. I I recently had a candidate who, great production, but a history of jumping over the last few years to the point that when when this person reached out to me recently, I said, you know, I know the type of position that you're looking for, but what you need to do is you need to get somewhere and stay for several years because, because just, just looking at this on paper, this doesn't look good. You know, so keeping that in the back of your mind that, okay, well, I can, I can get another 15 or $20,000 a year going here, but okay, well, maybe, but you don't know what that organization is like to work for them. And you probably don't know what that culture is like. And if things don't work out with them, then, you know, your resume is going to look even worse if you have a history of hopping from one employer to the other. There were a bunch of there were a bunch of things there. Did I did I answer that? Yeah, no, totally. And and I think. You know, I mean, we've seen it pretty consistently where, I mean, people have pulled really good and I know they're good. Like I know, you know, the, the business development person that they're pulling and that person's really good and they've performed really well for years, you know, and then they move into another organization. And exactly like you said, they, they just kind of fall flat because the relationships don't transfer. Part of that relationship is connected to the provider, not to the business development partner. 
And especially if there's that mismatch between the type of programming, if you got a trauma focused program, and then suddenly I'm at another program that focuses more on complex medical in addition to SUD, AUD, you know, it's very, very different. So those same referral sources aren't going to necessarily transfer. What do I really think that people misunderstand is, let's say I have this book of business idea, right? Well, book of business is just experience, right? It's not a Rolodex of numbers. It's the fact that this person is really good at what they do. And so over years, they have built trust, credibility, and relationships, you know, that are, that other people believe in. And so they're willing to send a referral. It's just like if you hire a really good marketing director, or if you hire a really good clinical director, right? You're hiring them because of their experience and that along the way, they've become really, really, really good at what they do. So a business development person with a book of business is really just someone that's really good at what they do, but you still often will have to wait for that, right? It's going to take them time to shift to a new provider, understand the program, understand what the differentiators are, and you know, kind of rework or rebuild some of those relationships. So when people think it's a book of business, it's not. It's actually the skill set of that employee that's valuable. And so when you start to look at it that way, then you understand, well, really what I need is people to have these, these valuable skill sets and can build relationships and that have that passion for the industry. Um, not, not just a book of numbers in, in a little black book somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this, this may not be the best way to put this, but you know, one thing that I kind of think makes sense is if someone has this experience and they have all of these contacts and relationships that they've established in the past, once they leave the organization where they originally were at, when they established those relationships, basically what those relationships are now is those are warm leads. You know, those, those aren't necessarily referral sources right now. Right. Right. Because they were referral sources for the past organization. It's like when you're going in and you're prospecting and you're doing your cold calling. Well, these aren't cold calls now. These are people that I know and that I've had relationships with in the past, with in the past but they're not existing referral relationships. So I still have to transition them. If thinking about sales, you know, you think about your sales funnel and this is your pipeline. Okay, these people, you know, they may be in my you know, they're maybe in my pipeline or I'm trying to get them in my pipeline as potential referral sources right now. And this, you know, and, and I don't, I don't mean to make it sell, sound super salesy, but business development is outside sales. You know, it's, it's, but the difference I feel like with behavioral health business development and some other outside sales position is we're relationship sales. You know, we're relationships. So having those relationships in place, even if it was with another company that you established them with, that's that's valuable. And that's maybe even that's probably more valuable than doing it, you know, with medical devices or computers or you know, copiers, whatever. It's much less transactional, it's much more relationship sales but you know some things that you talked about those are great points is that the business development representative you know what what they've done with that book of business is you know, they have experience and they've gotten good at what they do in establishing those relationships and they'll they'll be able to do it again you know it's 
it's something that can be repeated. What do you think about salary ranges? You know, what would you consider to be a, a good salary range for a outreach rep position these days? You know, that's going to be a lot of it is going to be based on geography. I've seen, I think, I, I think I computed this probably about a year ago and the number that was hit most often was 80,000, 80,000 base salary. And I think the average was like 74,000. I had, you know, and, and there was a range. I had, had one company that hired quite a, one of my former clients that would hire at a low starting salary, but they had a bonus component, you know, and, and, and there, there are treatment centers and behavioral health organizations out there that do have bonus programs. A lot of them do, but they are not tied to admissions. They're tied, tied to some other criteria. Some are just going straight salary, but, you know, I, I think that I've seen as high as you know, for a business development rep, as 155 and i've seen some that have started with you know and these are just straight salary i've seen some that have started experience reps i'm trying to think what the low is for experience rep i don't think that and again it's going to depend on where you're located i don't think that you should expect anything less than 70 for someone with at least, you know, probably two to three years experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, right, if I'm, let's say I'm doing a total compensation with bonuses and benefits and then base salary, you know, of a hundred thousand, I mean, that's $8,000 a month to cover an $8,000 a month salary. That's quite a lot of patients that have to be brought in, you know, especially if you're talking about in network reimbursement rates, which is, you know, the majority of providers. So it's just, I don't think people run the numbers, you know, enough. Cause again, as you're talking about, it's usually a ramp up phase, you know, somewhere between three months and, you know, sometimes up to six, depending on how green they are or how new the new to the industry. And then they have to start cultivating those relationships and, you know, connecting people that care later on down the line, but you've got to, you've paid for that all, right. You've paid for the training, you paid for the three to six month ramp up phase, you know, an $8,000 a month, uh, it's not sustainable. And I just don't think people really look at their numbers sometimes in terms of being realistic about what is, what is possible, you know, whether they have a book of business or not. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I like, I like the point that you made about crunching the numbers because it's, you know, it's, it's also not a, it's also not just a revenue thing. It's a profit thing or it's, you know, you, you have to look at look at how much each admission, you know, estimate how much admission is going to bring to your bottom line. Or right, and if I'm expecting seventy percent of my admissions, which is kind of our, our baseline recommendation, you know, so seventy percent of admissions coming from community outreach and business development, I mean, that's a lot of admissions, right? That's the majority of your admissions, and so if you're bringing them in at a level that is unaffordable you know, it's, <laughs> you're going to be in a pretty tough position pretty soon. Yeah. And I, I recently had a, someone that was referred to me and it was a, it was a small, small treatment center and needed help hiring business development. I let him know, you know, this is my fee. This is what it's going to cost. 
this is what you can expect with a salary for this type of candidate that you're looking for. And the guy crunched the numbers and with them being as small as they are, you know, uh, the treatment center with six beds, it's running at a three to four right now. Okay. So you can go up two to three per month. Well, you know, then you add on that additional salary plus the percentage for, for the recruiting fee. And, you know, the guy crunched the numbers. He said, you know, I just, it just doesn't make sense for me to hire right now. Yeah. On, on top of, on top of that, it doesn't make sense for me to, you know, to pay an additional fee on top of it. And, you know, I, I said, Hey, I understand. <laughs> I understand when, when you get to a point where you expand your bed count or if your census drops, you know, your average daily census drops even lower and you need to kick it up, you know, by maybe four a month or so. Okay. Then, you know, I'll be happy to have a conversation with you then, but I, I appreciated that he actually crunched the numbers and realized that this, you know, adding someone right now, in this financial decision, it doesn't make sense. You know, two, two, potentially two additional admissions per month will not pay this person's salary. Correct. Right. You know, and so that question becomes, you know, whether it's a smaller provider just kind of getting things off the ground or a larger one, you've got this ramp up phase. And so what kind of training has to be put in place and, and what kind of management support has to be put in place to, to one, reduce the time that it takes someone to kind of get ramped up and get going. And then two, increases retention, right? Because if you're hiring, say you hire 10 reps, and I see this happen all the time, especially with larger providers, they'll go out and they'll say, oh, this is kind of working. So we're going to hire 10 more reps. While if you have a 50% turnover rate in the first six months, which is not uncommon for a lot of reasons, that's a whole lot of money, right? That just went out the door because those business development reps weren't even really at a level where they were able to pay for their own salaries, you know, within the first six months sometimes. So what, what do you see in terms of effective onboarding training and support processes that help business development teams, you know, be effective in their outreach? So I love when this, this is a big one for me. I'm not saying that I necessarily won't accept a client that doesn't have one of these, but it's, more and more difficult for me to accept working with a client if they don't have a strong training program or either internal or hiring a consultant to, to train up their business development team. So I love these. I love when an organization will take time to teach the employee about the organization. Let them, let them actually, you know, if, if they're in a state away from the treatment center, Right. Because most of the positions that I feel are not for organizations hiring a rep in the same city as the treatment center. So that will bring the candidate or the, the hired employee out to the treatment center and let them spend time there. You know, not just spending time there, filling out their paperwork and you know things like that, but actually spending time out there, getting to know the landscape of the land the the physical land and also the organization also the leaders the let them sit in in groups let them get to know the clinical staff the clinical leaders the medical directors because that's going to be what you're selling you know that's that's what's ultimately going to be what is going to perk up the ears of potential referral sources 
you know, that you tell them about the high quality care that you're providing there, or you tell them about once they step down from the residential program, you know, this is the way we follow them through their various levels of care after that. This is what we do with our alumni department. This is what we do with collecting outcomes and staying engaged with the client, the um, with the patients. One of the, one of the, the study that I like to talk about. So when I, when I worked at a former organization, we had a lady, I'll, I'll give her a shout out, Siobhan Morse. She was over, she was over outcomes and you know, she was over a lot, a lot more than that, but she was great. But one of the white papers that she did, she did numerous white papers, but one of them was on, you know, and I, and I'll do air quotes here. was on, um, was on not satisfaction rates, but um, with sobriety rates. Okay. We'll just, we'll call it like a sobriety rate and, uh, with success rates, I'm sorry. Success rates is, you know, that's that's what that's what uh, people from outside of the industry would say. What are your success rates? Like, well, okay, what do you what determines success, right? But what was an indicator here was length of sobriety, length of continuous sobriety, and what was the number one indicator was not how long they stayed at a residential treatment center, not the number of days that they stayed there, but the length of engagement throughout the entire process. So what I mean by that is someone who went to a residential treatment center that they stayed at for 120 days. Okay. They were less likely to stay sober for a year than someone who went to a residential program for 30 days, but then did six months of outpatient treatment. You know, the, the length of engagement, length of, length of staying in your meetings and working with your, you know, getting a sponsor and do, doing the sorts of things that they recommend with case management and discharge planning. So, you know, get, getting to know those types of things, getting to know those types of things. So, you know, you can really articulate the value of that to your potential referral sources. I think that's huge. I think that's huge with training as far as management goes. I don't necessarily like micromanage, but micromanagement, but I do feel like it's important for organizations to invest in a CRM so they can see how many contacts someone is putting into the system, how many new contacts they're making, how many meetings they're participating in because that's a way to determine if production is not there. Okay, well then let's take, let's take a look. Let's get kind of granular in this and see that, well, you know, you only made 15 phone calls and had seven meetings last week or, you know, last month you only had 55 meetings or 55 calls. You know, we should look at ramping that up. So I feel like I feel like that's important. Um, also, organizations that are willing to do ride-alongs, that are willing to, you know, kind of, kind of hands-on coaching experience. So, hired business development reps can see that this is the way that you should engage. These are some questions you should ask. These are some points that you should emphasize. You know, so so they can actually see what it looks like from someone who. Hopefully, hopefully has been successful in that role in the past.
as far as a ramp up period for production, I feel like, you know, it's going to, it's going to differ, you know, because you talked about in the example, the in-network provider, right? So that's, that's a much wider net that you're casting versus say a long-term high-end private pay program. You know, there, there was a program I consulted with a few years ago and uh, bringing in, you know, bringing in one admission, well, they had, I don't know, maybe maybe a census of 16 or a max bed count of 16, but each admission was a year long. You know, it was a year long and it was a cash pay. So it was, you know, each, each admission was very, very valuable. And so those types of organizations, I feel like the ramp should be, people should be given a longer leash. With a totally in-network provider, I would think um, you should expect to start seeing some stuff coming in within the first two to three months. Start to see some phone calls, some leads, maybe some admissions. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that anyone should be expected to fully ramp up until after until after their 90 days, closer to six months. Yeah. Yeah, you know, speaking to a, a couple of things you mentioned and, and like the ride-alongs, I mean, we do those, right? So when we do business development consulting, when we install an onboarding program or just do training, we go on the ride-alongs and I'm there listening to the, the BD reps just not know what they're talking about. You know, it's like they can't speak to the program. They can't, can't speak to the differentiators of the program. They can't answer simple clinical questions. Right. Which is obviously why we're there. We're going in to do that training. But it, it's just amazing to me that you can hire a business development person and then not have an onboarding process in place that doesn't involve them in the clinical program and doesn't help them understand what the differentiators of the program are. You know, they're I refer to it fairly derogatorily, but, you know, this horse trading where you go into another rehab, that's easy. Right. I can sit down. I can have coffee. And I can say, what are your levels of care? What insurance do you offer? Let's trade. You know, that is that is the the lowest and the easiest form of business development. Right. And it, as I talk about all the time on, you know, LinkedIn and other places, it's so ineffective because most people have built out longer continues of care. Most people have gone in network, so they take all the insurances. So, you know, that whole game has been dying over the past couple of years, even though some people still try and play it. But when people hire in business development reps from the field, that's what they know. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and we're in front of a therapist, right? Or we're in front of a doctor or we're trying to get into a hospital. I'm on these ride-alongs and, you know, the person says, well, what's unique about your program? Or tell me about what evidence-based program you have. Like, what does that mean to you? Or how do you guys, you know, deal with trauma? And, and the business development reps don't have any idea and then they wonder why they're not able to connect with community partners and bring in referrals. And, you know, that, that white paper that you talked about, I mean, you know, I've seen, I've seen 10 year old white papers kill it in terms of helping support the business development team and referrals because literally no one does them. Right. And it's just shocking to me, but just so little support can go so far with really quality referral partners because nobody does it. Like, I don't want donuts. I don't want pens, right? What I want is to see your outcomes. And so if your business development team doesn't have those resources or isn't trained on those resources, they're not going to be able to communicate that, you know, and then you just don't stand out, right? So I, I think that point 
is really important that you pulled out there. And then, you know, related to the ongoing training component and then how that, how they're kind of being placed, right, from a territory or account standpoint. You know, a lot of the times we, we just see people scrambling and, and throwing things against the wall because they're not provided playbooks is one of the ways that we refer to them, right? If I have to go into a hospital, how do I do that? Who do I talk to? What are the talking points that are important to them? What should I be focusing on? What collateral should I bring, right? And if I don't have that playbook, then I'm, I'm learning from scratch every single time. And if I'm not comfortable, if I haven't done that before, it's going to take me a long time to figure that out. Whereas if a provider has developed the playbook, right, has developed the process and say, hey, look, you seem to have a healthcare background. You're good here. Here's the healthcare hospital playbook. This is how you do it. You know, it's going to cut the time in half um, for them to be able to establish those relationships. So I think it's just critical, as you're really talking about, to have those support mechanisms in place and make sure your business development team is collaborating with clinical right, is also collaborating with the marketing team to make sure that they have resources that are appropriate for the different referral buckets. Yeah, yeah, and one of the things that I love that you talked about was having a business development team that's able to speak clinical language. That doesn't necessarily mean someone has to have a clinical background. I do like that in business development, so long as the other factors and personalities that I feel make a successful business development representative or there, but I like the people that are able to go and speak with clinicians kind of on a more of a peer to peer level. Yeah. Right. They're able to speak the language. There was, there's a, there's a leader, a guy I have tons and tons of respect for in this industry, a business development leader. I actually saw him at a conference probably four years ago with some of his team members and he would push them whenever, whenever the sessions would go, he would have them go to the sessions so that one, they could learn more, you know, learn more about clinical, but also, you know, they're in there with the people that they're trying to connect with. Right. And, and it's not like you're in there and you're pitching people in the middle of the presentation, but also that can be a good conversation starter whenever you're, if you're at some sort of event, Whenever you're leaving the event or you're you know, walking out of the room, like, oh, wow, I didn't know that about EMDR or, or, or whatever, you know, and so I feel like people, business development leaders that understand that and want to invest in training for their staff, not just sales coaching, but also invest in their knowledge of the industry. I feel like that's going to be. Feel like that's going to help make for a more successful team and you talked about the playbook you know one of the things that i think business development representatives need to keep in mind with every encounter that they have is okay what's in it for me you know that's that's what this person's thinking and that's what this person's thinking is what's in it for me you know what does this person bring to the table that i find to be valuable so you're talking about the horse trading. Okay. Well, you know, how this person's thinking, how can I refer to them? You know, what gaps do we fill for one another? Okay. If this person is a social worker, okay, well, what's important to this person? You know, okay, well, they want to see this per that the patients receive one-on-one -on -one treatment, that the patients are 
you know, treated like an individual rather than put through a generic program, right? Or the case manager. Okay, they want to see how we're going to be with the patient long term, how we're going to help them succeed, and we're going to follow them through multiple levels of care, regardless of whether they're within our system or not. You know, so so I think understanding, you know, just another sales thing, just another sales strategy is understanding your prospect, understanding what's important to them and what's our understanding, understanding what's valuable to them, and then articulating, knowing your program and your organization well enough to be able to articulate that value proposition to them. You know, because you need you need lots of value propositions because you're going to be meeting with a lot of different types of individuals and organizations. And if you're meeting with if you're meeting with an employer group, how are you going to reduce costs for them? How are you going to keep people in the workplace and how are you going to keep them from having to go to the ER? You know, how are you going to keep them from having severe mental health problems that are impacting their work, you know, so, so things like that. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the playbooks, but to your earlier point, that should also be in the CRM notes, you know, and I'm, I'm always surprised by how many business development teams and even the leaders don't know, right? Like, well, what's your team doing, right? Where are referrals coming from? What's the conversion rate on referrals from these different buckets, you know, or from these different territories. And that's what your CRM tells you. But surprisingly, I mean, we've been into a number of providers this year that didn't have a CRM for their business development team. Um, And then not surprisingly, when we said, well, you know, where do you see patients coming from? Nobody knew because they weren't effectively tracking it. Right. They just had guesses and hunches and anecdotal feedback. But, you know, it didn't tell them anything about what was really effective or where they should be focusing their time or what was working. You know, was it face to face meetings? Was it? you know, lunch, open lunch events? Was it phone calls? Like, you know, nobody knew because there was no tracking. So last question I kind of want to go into here before we wrap up is just keeping, keeping the team, right? You know, what have you found in terms of retention and keeping the business development team happy and productive? So I, I get, I receive phone calls all the time from people working at a treatment center that they're, that they're not happy with. And what I've seen from really a lot of these bigger organizations is culture, 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 culture is king. So people that have established their career, their relationships with these bigger organizations are many of them are going to these smaller treatment centers because one, it feels like, and I can kind of attest to this. I worked at an organization that, you know, we were sold off and the culture changed a lot. And so I feel like retaining employees, you know, uh, a big part is allowing them to feel like they still matter, allowing them to feel like they can be heard by the organization, not treating them like they're a number and treating them like they're a valuable part of the organization. And so, so how do you do that? Well, there are, you you need to be you need to measure production right I, I agree with that there there are things that your business development team has to do to be productive but also you know, 
from a leadership standpoint, I feel like treating them like they're people, you know, and instead of just jumping on someone immediately because they didn't have their, they didn't log their 30 face-to-face meetings last week. You know, so, so I feel like micromanagement is something that's pushing a lot of people away. Also, you know, also insecurity. There are a lot of business development people that are looking for new opportunities because they're insecure about the direction that the organization is heading. You know, take, for example, there's a, there's a organization that's, that's very large, you know, very large that is, you know, owned by private equity and they're in the process of, you know, being acquired by a bigger private equity organization and, the <laughs> there are a lot of people within that organization that are scared and that want to leave because of uncertainty. So, you know, that's just something to be aware of. I'm not saying that companies need to change their strategy, but just knowing that whenever they go for another round of funding and when they're about to be acquired by someone else, it creates uncertainty within their staff and their likely to reach out for new opportunities or if new opportunities come knocking on their door, they're at least going to open the door and see who this new visitor is. Yeah. Yeah. I think culture is key. You know, we talked about that with um, a couple people on the podcast related to business development and staff retention. And I see it everywhere. You know, at the end of the day, you're, it's highly unlikely that you are the provider that's going to offer the best salary in the industry, right? There's only one of those. So what is going to keep people outside of comp and benefits and it's culture, it's culture, it's mission. And so if that's really built into the core, I think it's super valuable. So Jordan, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I think the information was super valuable to everyone. If someone wanted to contact you and need some support in terms of finding, you know, business development or other staff positions, what would be the best way to get in touch? Yeah. Yeah. And Nick, thank you. This was really good. I enjoyed it. They can email me. My email is Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N at Jordan and associates.net. So that's J-O-R-D-A-N at J-O-R-D-A-N-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S dot net. All right. Well, thank you so much. And to all our listeners out there, I always appreciate you joining us here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Nate.